54. Verses 46 through 54. People would say maybe in an, uh, an exam in front of Presbytery to test your content of knowledge of Bible content, and they'd say, well, what's in John 4? And everybody knows that's the woman at the well. Well, here's about 10 verses tacked on at the end of it that aren't about the woman at the well, but I tell you, this guy that it talks about is, is pretty uh, excited that it's there. Let's read about it, and then we'll look at it in our sermon. John 4, verses 46 through 54. So Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. That he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Please be seated. Father in heaven, we thank you for everything we've been able to do today to give back a portion of what you've given us as we just did, to confess our sins together and then individually as we just did and to hear about how you are uh, uh, a forgiving God, to be able to sing hymns of praise to you and thanks to you for your word, everything that we've been able to do, including the conversations with each other and, and seeing uh, our fellow uh, family members who are Christians. Lord, we thank you for this. And now we pray with your Holy Spirit's help. Uh, help us with your word. Help us to um, pay attention for one thing, but, but spiritually help us to uh, receive what you have for us in the form of encouragement or admonishment or, or uh, uh, just add to the, our knowledge of your word that you gave us. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's promised help as we look now at these uh, sacred words. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to start out by encouraging, first of all, as I try to do and I want to do more and more throughout the course of of this year, encouraging you to be in your Bibles. Um, Heard somebody say when they were talking about living simply or simple living, and and it it sounded like a wise thing to say. He He said, I'm not telling you to live simply. I'm telling you to live simpler. I'm not telling you in this case that you have to become masters of divinity, equivalents 
and put that pressure on you, although that's a good thing. I'm telling you to just spend some more time in your Bibles. Read, think, clear the deck a little bit, um, uh, ponder it. You get a chance to hear it uh, preached. You do that or read it. Um, just, I think, more and more as we, you see what the world has and is trying to sell us. Okay. Um, every day I get an email from Amazon trying to get me to buy books for my Kindle. Load your Kindle with this or that. And I read the synopsis of some of the things that they suggest for me based on my algorithms. And I think, yuck, I must not be, what kind of a person am I that they think I would want to read this stuff? What, what in the world is going on? And, and there's so much, in the old days, you'd say, well, better to read than just to you know, watch the TV or whatever. Uh, I'd say, no, you're better off just watching Leave It to Beaver than, than, than the stuff that they want to push on you to read. But when we have a Bible, when we have God's word, you have something. There was an article that I did not read, but it was on, the, I think, the Gospel Coalition website. But, but the question, I read the synopsis of it because I was too busy reading those dumb books from Amazon. Just kidding. But um, I read the synopsis of it, and it said, how do you learn to love your Bible? <laughs> Simple. Read it. Read it. I tell you, that Psalm 11 that, that, that Mark read this morning for us, that was like an old friend uh, that I hadn't encountered for a while because I'm somewhere else in the Bible. But it's like, that is good. And let the word be your friend. Read your Bibles. God gave you a Bible. He preserved the Bible. He gave these uh, men and women all this intelligence to be able to translate. Uh, uh, there's all these things. And so we have something. So I'm not saying uh, come back and if you don't have the Gospels memorized next week, you're an inferior Christian. or something. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying find a way to add and to think about the word God gave you. And one thing that helps us, uh, too, it's not the Bible itself, but boy, God has raised up these people uh, with insight that have spent their lives studying the Bible and, and they're building on it. Uh, we're not like, say, the Catholic Church that puts tradition and the teachings of men above the Bible. But boy, we do love and acknowledge those people who've gone before us who've taught us. And there's a great written word. I would, I would encourage if you've never purchased or read a commentary, a good, solid commentary on Scripture, meaning just uh, somebody's looking at it, they are taking their, their resource, they're commenting on each verse, biblically and godly, uh, that could help you. Um, when I prepare sermons, for instance, from John, there's about, oh, usually five or six people I find, and these are my friends that I discuss the text with, or I sit and listen it's like, actually, I don't discuss it with them. They discuss it with me and with each other. It's like a dialogue. And, uh, and, and I've found in John already in four chapters, there's been, I've said, oh, this is my go-to. This is my go-to. This is my go-to. But this week, I picked up J.C. Ryle. And his commentaries on the Gospels are plain and simple and wonderful and deep at the same time. And... Um, Essentially, these four thoughts this morning, uh, I'm owning them, but I 
got them from, 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 from Ryle's insights, these four observations from this text. And I would recommend, I would recommend a good commentary if you haven't done that or if you haven't done it for a while. Um, so we learn from these people. And the first thing that, that, that uh, uh, Bishop Ryle, he was in, in the Anglican Church uh, about 1879 or so. The men read his book, Holiness, and it was so wonderful. Um, uh, that's who he is. So he said, as he's reading through this text, and he says the first thing to notice of four things, one is the rich have worries and afflictions as well as the poor. The rich have worries and afflictions as well as the poor. Here's a man. Uh, Jesus is back in, in Cana where he turned the water into wine. There's an official whose son was ill. And various translations of, of official in various texts, um, I think just he was an official. He was somebody with some standing in culture. He was not... Uh, like most of us, just the regular person. He was somebody with authority. He was somebody that people said, oh, here's the official. Um, it was funny, this week, uh, on Thursday morning, all the Brazilian pastors, or not all of them, but, but a lot of them from both Boston and New Jersey were here for a meeting um, of, of Brazilian pastors. And I like that because I hang around long enough, they invite me in. They didn't invite me over to Planito, Brazil with them, but they did invite me in to get that good bakery bread and the cheese and the meat and, and the conversations. But uh, the reason that they had this meeting at this time is because the Presidente of the Presbyterian churches in Brazil was here. And he didn't know much English. I said, I was joking around with, with Renato Bernardes and, and Pastor Darcy, and I said, do I shake his hand or do I just genuflect? And then they laughed, and they said, he's a good guy if you get to know him. But they all met with the Presidente. And they, there was something about the guy who leads the denomination and the Presbyterians over there. Um, well, an official. This was an official. He was somebody who you would take note of. That's okay. That's, our society is filled with people who you take note of or people that you don't notice unless you, unless you, you take the time to do it. But these rich, these well-to-dos, these people with names have worries and afflictions as well as the poor. We have this myth in our lives that if you just have enough money, you can cover all your troubles. If I just had money, then I would be fine. Boy, money would cover this. Money would cover this. Uh, somebody says it, it helps. <laughs> well, maybe it does in some ways, or you think it would. But here's the thing. You think they don't have trouble? They've got trouble. And it might be a lot like the same kind of trouble that you have. What had they spent to try to get this boy well? Uh, all the money in the world wasn't helping. And their son was dying. And what could he do? Say, I'm an official, so my son can't get sick to the point of death. Didn't help it. It's a nobleman. Now, I'm not going to do this. I was going to do this. I send uh, these notes out um, to, to, to a couple people, and I'm happy to send my... You guys want the sermon notes ahead of time? As long as you promise you won't skip church. 
I'll send those to you. Um, but I, I send, them, uh, send them to Bruno and Karini. It helps with the English as, as they're learning. I send them to Laura. And, uh, and she says it's very helpful. And so in, in the notes, I said, I don't think I'll quote all these lyrics from Camelot. And Laura said, that's funny. I just watched Camelot with my parents this week. But there's a song about the third song, if you buy the soundtrack of Camelot, where the king is getting ready to get married to Guinevere. And, and, and the song is called, I Wonder What the King is Doing Tonight. And they're all in their places, and they're thinking the king, he's getting ready for his big wedding. And he's saying, no, I'm scared. I'm nervous. Uh, maybe, maybe just a, a couple of little lines, but I won't do the whole thing. He says, you mean that a king who fought a dragon, whacked him in two and fixed his wagon, goes to be wed in terror and distress? Yes. A warrior who's so calm in battle, even his armor doesn't rattle, faces a woman petrified with fright? Right. You mean that appalling clamoring that sounds like a blacksmith hammering is merely the banging of his royal knees? Please. He says, all these people are saying, what's the king doing tonight? He's scared. He's numb. He shakes. He quails. He quakes. That's what the king is doing tonight. Uh, We think, oh, those people that aren't like us, they've got a life of ease. No. No one has a life of ease. The Bible says, here's a, here's a Bible verse, man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. Somebody's sitting around, you put the fire and the, the campfire going, the sparks fly, just as natural as anything, you're born for trouble. And Ryle says, listen, rich and the poor, they've all got trouble. It's a popular railing and attitude. The rich have it made. Let's take their stuff so we'll all be rich, or at least they'll be poor, and then we won't have problems. I want to I take it. I want to have, have uh, justice in this world, but justice is really, a lot of times, just us. <laughs> and everybody clamoring for this stuff and take because they don't have problems and we have problems. Now we won't. No, you will not eliminate your problems with money. Good idea. Our church says, get out of debt, save up while you're tithing, of course, get ready. But that will not solve your spiritual problems. And I was glad to hear, I I, I should have double-checked with with Steve on this and got the words right, but where where is it? Dave Ramsey basically said in that course, uh, you think that getting your finances in order and everything looking good will, will um, make you better spiritually, something to that effect. He said, whatever kind of a person you are now is the kind of person you would be then. Um, that's, there's a spiritual side of things. And here's an official. He got his promotion. He got sent down here to where Jesus was in, in uh, Capernaum. He got his promotion. Maybe he's looking for the next one. He and his wife are talking about this is the next step. And what happens? Their kid gets sick and is near death just like everybody else's kid can get sick and can be near death. Rich and the poor all got trouble. We all got trouble. Who are some rich people that we know in the Bible? Maybe the two richest people in the Bible. Uh, The first two that came to my mind, and you can correct me afterwards and to think of somebody else, but I think of Abraham, for one. Wealth untold. 
and he still had affliction. He still had times he was out there begging God. He had times where he gave up on God's plan and, and tried to do it his own way, and he had trouble. The other one I think of is Job, who had everything and then had nothing, and then at the end had twice as much uh, as he started with, if you read the last part of it. Riches did not insulate either of these people from pain and sorrow. And so we need to be certain of this, though, from the text. Jesus is happy to serve both the rich and the poor in their trouble. Jesus doesn't discriminate. He doesn't say, well, you made too much money. You don't get the the break from me uh, because your money I gave you, use that instead. No, the the rich man comes and needs help. Jesus helps him. The poor man comes and needs help. Jesus helps him. Jesus did say it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven, but that's not an indictment of the rich. That is saying that God is the one who saves. Can a camel get through the eye of a needle? If God wants him to, he can. God can put 100 camels through the tiniest eye of the tiniest needle because God can do that, and God can save the rich, and God has and does. So we see that first, that first point. The rich have worries and afflictions as well as the poor. And the smart ones go to Jesus and say, I need some help. Secondly, sickness and death come to the young as well as to the old. Sickness and death come to the young as well as to the old. Um, You're not immune if you're young. You're not going to live forever. Sometimes we think we will, but we don't know what's coming. Look at the newspaper. Look at all these athletes and people just dropping over. You know, this guy was in perfect health. This guy was an influencer. Last week, he was a bodybuilder. He was a famous guy, and he just died. Look at this basketball player from down in South America somewhere. Uh, Picture of perfect health. He's gone. I'm like, man... Me, I struggled. Paul and I, Paul found a free treadmill, so you're going to see a lighter trimmer me. You watch. <laughs> so I st- day one, I did pretty good, like we all do on day one uh, yesterday. But listen, how can these people, younger than me, healthier than me, just drop over? It's that's the natural order of things. It's supposed to be me and, and the generations in and, and, and that way. But people, it doesn't matter how young or old you are, you do not know where your last breath is going to be. Look at the graveyards. See that there are people cut down in their prime of life as well as those who are seasoned. Aaron lost two sons all at once. David had three children recorded in Scripture that lost their life before him. One, even a little baby. Job all of them at once. We don't know, and you don't know. Um, I was trying to get this point across back back when I was the the youth pastor guy, and we had all these high school students in a room, and I still remember their faces. And uh, they're all like, some of your age now, they're all all young 40s having babies and in their careers, and now I'm I'm me. But I said, who's going to die first in here? Who, who dies first? Look at this room of 30. One of us will be the one that will die 
first. We're all going to die, but somebody will be the first one. Who will it be? And I was trying to get them to think of their own mortality, and they all got together, and uh, like good little actuarial uh, table people, they all pointed at me. I said, well, that's probably the truth. Um, uh, if you just play the odds, I'm older, <laughs> probably going to go first. But I said, I'm going to take the field. You all want to say it's going to be me? I'm saying it's going to be one of you. I don't know which one, but I'll take the field on that one. And it was almost Minette. And her Jeep rolled over and the bar was on her head. And Paul and I went and saw her in the hospital and her face was flat as a pancake. She survived, went to work for Mission of the World and leads mission trips in Belgium and does things like that now. It was almost Will. Will was a climber. And he was down at uh, Lookout Mountain down there near Covenant College. And he was climbing up. He'd been up that, this cliff a couple of times that day. And so they were taking the rock climbers up there. He was going to go on ahead and, and, and put the pegs in, make sure they were secure for the inexperienced climbers. And when Paula and I drove over from where I was in seminary, he'd been in my youth group, drove over to, to Chattanooga to see him. He's just laying on the bed, twitching, and he survived with some damage, but survived. So it still may be me, and those kids may be right. The point being this, you do not know, and your youth will not protect you from sickness and death. It won't. There's not an age. The uh, Bible says man knows not his time. And here's this kid. He's a boy. He's a boy. If you're wise, you will not consider long life as a certain thing. That's why the Bible says in James, woe to you if you say we're going to go do such and such a thing. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Hey, good to make a plan, but you better say if the Lord wills. If the Lord is willing, we will do that because there's no guarantee. What you're guaranteed you know, death and taxes, as they say, but what you're guaranteed is eternity somewhere. You're guaranteed of eternity somewhere. I hope it's heaven for your sake. Ryle says, after those two things, he gets to what I think might be the heart of the passage, what I think, um, and that's the third, the third thing that this passage teaches us. And that is this. Affliction can confer benefits on the soul. That's Ryle's 1879 way of saying, sometimes pain is your friend. Affliction can confer benefits on the soul. Here's this official. Here he is, making his career path blazing his trail, sitting down with his wife. Maybe we'll get one of those places. I'd take this position. Wouldn't you like to live on the beach here? Wouldn't you? Maybe we'll go here. Maybe we'll go that. His kid gets sick. And all of a sudden, the passage ends with he and his house as Christians, believing in Jesus. And all of a sudden, at the very end, he would say, I am so glad Junior got sick because it made me go see Jesus. And Jesus healed him. And me and my whole family believed. Uh, there's a first belief. He believed for the wellness of his son. He went on his way finally. But that second one where it says at the very end, um, 
and he himself believed in all his household. That doesn't mean he believed that Jesus would heal the son. The son had been, had been healed already. What was he believing? He was believing in Jesus Christ. Track him down in heaven. He'll say, man, I'm so glad for that to happen. Where's my son? Oh, he's over praising Jesus over here. Son, aren't you glad you got sick that time? Yes, I am so glad because we found Jesus. Or rather, Jesus found us when we thought we were finding Jesus. Here's Ryle again. This is, this is the only quote, direct quote from him. I thought it was well written. I just like the way he writes in his pithy way. Listen to this. Ryle says, Affliction is one of God's medicines. By it, he often teaches lessons which would be learned in no other way. By it, he often draws souls away from sin and the world, which would otherwise have perished everlastingly. Health is a great blessing, but sanctified disease is greater. I'm going to say that again. Health is a great blessing, but sanctified disease is greater. Prosperity and worldly comfort are what all naturally desire, but losses and crosses are far better for us if they lead us to Christ. Thousands at the last day will testify with David and the noble man before us, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. David in Psalm 119, 71. That's true. Uh, we don't teach what is called as the health, wealth, or prosperity gospel here uh, as if your whole goal in life is to get rich and have no problems here on earth. We have them on earth. We can't lie to you and tell you you won't. Um, but we learn from the pain. And this is a truth even in the non-believing world. Um, read a biography. I'm listening. I spend 15 minutes a day, and I'm loving this. And I can't wait to go back and watch a couple of his movies now. Uh, Sidney Portier's biography, read by the author. And I like, his, I like his way he reads it. He wrote it. I want to hear him read it. But he's talking about what it was like, uh, first of all, growing up on that little island in the Bahamas. And then the trouble he ran into and at 15, coming to Miami, then coming up to New York, and, and, and the afflictions. And he says, I never would have learned without the afflictions. Uh, you find any successful person, believer or not, uh, there'll be, and you have to write a report on their life, or, or, or somebody asks you about the arc of their life, uh, a good question is always, what was, what was a struggle, what was a trouble that they had, and how did they overcome it? Uh, the problem is for so many non-believers, they just hit the trouble and you don't read their biographies because it just kills them. But for Christians, a Christian principle is this, the troubles that God sends in your life are your friends. They turn you to God. So don't, don't despise them. Don't seek them out. They will come to you anyway. But understand, pain is your friend. I mean, somebody made a pop song out of this, but, but she didn't coin it. But that old phrase about what doesn't kill you makes you stronger applies here spiritually. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. The correcting rod from a loving parent 
is what scripture uses to help us understand the loving discipline from God. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. You'd catch these kids, or they'd get caught doing something. Kids in the youth group, junior high, senior high, we're all sitting in our little office. Here's the youth pastor. Here's the, the parents. One parent's got a real frown on their face, and the other parent, maybe the dad, maybe the mom. They're kind of worried and nervous, but they're worried about the other parent. They're trying to figure out what to do. And here's the kid. She got caught. <laughs> She's in trouble. She got exposed. And the first thing we would say is, listen, God loves you very much because you got caught. <laughs> and loving people who care about you are going to help you walk through this. It's the ones uh, that just never get caught, that just go, 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 and, and, and whatever it is uh, kills them and shipwrecks them and ruins them. Uh, that's the ones to be worried for. Trouble. Hebrews twelve eleven. No chastening at present seems to be the cause for joy, but rather for grief. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit. Say this again. Pain is your friend. Pain is your friend. And this family, with the pain, the worry, mopping that little child's brow, trying to explain to the siblings what's going on, Dad saying, I hate to leave. No, you better go see Jesus. See this guy. Uh, he's doing some miracles. Go see him. Go see him. I hate to go. What if my son dies? No, somebody's got to go. Somebody's got to stay. You go, you stay. And that last longing look before he went, thinking he might ever see that little child again. And all of a sudden, it results in this. The whole family believes in Jesus. Eternal life. And finally, Christ's word is as good as Christ's presence. Jesus did not need to be physically present to do the healing. He's saying, come with me, come with me. No, uh, you're not going to believe till you see a sign. No, I believe. Okay, go your way. Your son will live. And he goes. Christ's word is as good as Christ's presence. He even looked at the time. What time did this happen? What time did that? Seventh hour. Ah, it's Jesus. It wasn't just luck. It wasn't just coincidence. This is Jesus' word saying it, and it's done right then from all these legions away, however far it was. Christ just has to say the word and make the promise, and his word is as good yeah, it is Bond. Thinking of that one, it's movie day today. Um, the, I guess it was the Hook, the, the Robin Williams movie Hook, where, um, where, where Robin, he's Peter Pan, and grown up and all that, and he says to his son, my word is my bond, and the kid goes, yeah, junk bonds. Um, Jesus' word is his bond, and it's not junk bonds. It's a guarantee. And Jesus says it. He does not have to be physically present. He says it. And we know theologically and biblically that Jesus is physically present through his Holy Spirit. He's present. He's real. Today, in your life, go to him, rich or poor, young or old, trouble or not trouble. Why wait for trouble? Go now and be ready for when the trouble comes. 
that his word is as good as his presence. You are safe and secure. What did Jesus say? Well, he said many things. And then those weren't all recorded, but of the recorded things, he said many things. One of the things Jesus said, and I'll just draw our attention to it, he said, everyone who comes to me, I will not cast out. And I would remind each of us, you came to Jesus in repentance and faith, and he received you, and he will never cast you out. How can I tell you that? Because Jesus said it. His word is his bond. We as parents learn not to make promises <laughs> because we've always let our kids down. The older kids, yeah, sure. Dad, when am I going to? Yeah, thank you for Ice Cream Tuesday. Yeah. Now, and the younger ones, it was like, well, we will do, I'll do my best to get you an ice cream on Tuesday because something could happen. Jesus can say it definitively, and it's going to happen. He's the only promise keeper, truly, all the way. The rest of us do our best, and then we keep what we can, and we apologize for when uh, circumstances come up, and we hopefully don't lie and, and make a promise that we know we're not going to keep. But boy, the one who can make the guarantee is Jesus. His word, go your way. Your son will live. Sure thing. Put it in the bank. Jesus said it. Jesus said, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast them out. Take that to the bank. That's for you. That's your guarantee. Uh, Why is that your guarantee? Because Jesus didn't just talk a good game. He walked a holy walk, and he died a sinner's death, though he was no sinner. He backed it up. You are his. A couple of ways to apply this to our lives. I got a funny, I got a funny text last week. Andy Griffith and Barney Fife. <laughs> and, and they're sitting there in church. <laughs> and Barney is going, oh. And, and the text was something like, this is becoming close to a hostage situation or something like that. And it made me laugh. Um, we're about finished here. You've got to pay attention. Here are these last three points. Take the four I gave you. Here are the last three. Let's celebrate communion together, and then we can go talk about this. But listen, listen. Um, applications, the way I looked at this, the way I applied it in my life, me and Paula's life. How about prayers for our kids who are dying spiritually? Near death, still breathing, but you worry. What's going to happen? Go to the only one who can save and pray. Go, go to Jesus. Jesus, my kid's dying. Please save their spiritual life. You'd be satisfied, and we are. We hold on to the little signs that are good. Uh, The kid wasn't jumping for joy and and running around. He didn't run out to meet his dad and didn't say. Um, Little girl, when Jesus saved her, the little Talutha come when he said that and rose that little girl by, you know, she got right away healed. This kid, the fever left. And they knew he was going to make it, but he was still in recovery. We even pray and look for signs like that, don't we? Pray. Don't give up. 
don't be too proud to keep coming back to Jesus on behalf of those you love who need his healing and his deliverance. The Bible says pray for out, without ceasing. This is one of those things to pray for without ceasing. There's an application for you. Go to God on behalf of the ones you love who are dying spiritually. I brought the, the cards Wednesday morning to the men's group, and we didn't pass them out. We're going to wait a week or so. But as we read and think about missions and God saving people, and uh, we'll pass the cards out to the guys, have them write five names down of people that they're going to be praying for that, that they, they are pretty sure don't know the Lord yet. And I would just challenge you to do that too. Just get a little card. Write five names down of people you're going to pray for. Let's start, start there. And just pray regularly for them. God, save them. God, uh, save them. It doesn't matter. And, and you're, then, then let the Holy Spirit just take your prayer whatever direction. Some of you will say, use me. <laughs> use anybody. Uh, but God, save them. Jesus, uh, my son is near death. Save him. It's a good thing for all of us to do. We're going to do it in our Wednesday morning group for sure. We live in a dying world with people whose only hope of salvation is in the saving power of Jesus Christ. Will you pray that we will see hope in our community and people coming to know him and the power of his resurrection? God, use use our church. Use our building. Use the Brazilian church. Use the Chinese church. Use the Calvary Chapel church. Use Christians uh, who are brothers and sisters who worship at other churches. Lord, save people. Save this specific person that I love. And that's our text for today. Jesus can do it. Jesus has done it, and we pray, and we trust, and we take our request to the Lord, and we say, wow, uh, how are we sure Jesus can save people? How are we sure Jesus can save sinners? Well, look in the mirror. Take the one thing that you've rolled your mind around that you would have done gladly if you knew you would never get caught. And see the depths of your own soul and say, God sees all of that and God saved me and God even forgave me for my wicked thoughts and God even saved the core of me. God can save anybody if God can save me and pray for God to do his work. Amen. Lord, thank you. For this text, this not as famous text as the woman at the well, but this uh, just wonderful, important encounter that you had with this rich, official person who was in need and who could not do anything at all in his own strength except come to you and plead. We thank you. For Jesus Christ, we thank you for every story in the scripture that illustrates the heart that you have, O oh God. And we thank you for the core of our Bible that says that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. It's in his name we pray.
Amen. For I received the delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed